Well, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Haldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. It's 291-6901. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. Or world, for that matter. That's it. With the, the world, world code. code. In front of there. there you go. Hey, give us a call. Be glad to talk to you, get you some information, answer whatever is on your mind. That's it. And right now is the... Perfect and mostly only. the only time <laughs> to get a live answer from the Automotive Hour. It is, and a lot of times folks will call at the shop during the week, and unfortunately, it's not that I'm being rude or trying to avoid you. It's just that I simply do not have time to come to the phone and answer questions during the week, so please don't call me at the shop. But that's why we do the Automotive Hour. we got one hour every week. And the other way to do it is just go to our website and hit use the contact form, send me an email, and within 24 hours, I'll get an answer back to you. So. That is the, the only two ways to get information. There live you go. information. Live free information. Anyway. There you go. There you go. And we really appreciate it. So just give us a call, 291-6901. And, well, there's actually three ways. There you go. You can go to the website. And there's tons and tons of information there. Probably anything you would want to know is on that site somewhere. A lot of questions, way over 1,000 questions have already been answered and are in our database. And that is, I would say the vast majority of questions that people ask, I can just refer them to a link on the uh-huh. site. And what it could have gotten the information not that i mind answering again it's just if they wanted a quick direct answer they can just do a little search on the site and find a lot of it right yep. there but if not if you prefer getting a custom tailored answer you give me a that's, that's <laughs> it just send, send it a on. contact for and i'll sure answer it again you know one of the most common questions that i do get on the website and at the shop as well is that people will say either i've got blah 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 light on what mm-hmm. does that mean or they'll say, I've got to check engine light on. What does that mean? Or even maybe more to the point, they'll say, my check engine light came on, but now it's off. Is it fixed? Yeah. And so I want to cancel my appointment. Right. In, in many cases is why they're calling. And all three of those kind of tie in to today's topic. They and do. that is understanding how lights, warning lights work. Technically, they're called a mill, malfunction indicator lamp. And it could be a check engine light. It could be a brake warning light. It could be anti-lock brake warning light. It could be traction control. I mean, tire pressure monitoring system. On and on and on. Airbags. There are literally dozens of lights on the dash of a modern car. Some of them are combined. For instance, the transmission normally does not have a transmission light. It uses the check engine light. The engine light. So if you have a transmission problem, it may turn the check engine light on. Right. Because it's all under what they call the power control module, which is the drivetrain of the car. And sometimes it's a little bit confusing. Cars like some of your Toyotas, when the check engine light comes on, very often the trash control light and the ABS light will also come on at the same time. And the reason for that, it's not a malfunction or a uh, that you have multiple problems. It's just that this is a computer network. And when a code is active, and we'll get into that in just a minute, in the power control module, it can no longer effectively communicate with the trash control module and ABS module. So, therefore, it sets a communication code. That's why all the lights come on at the same time. Mm-hmm. And you just have to know which one to go after first. For instance, you may have a misfire code in the power control module. It's setting an ABS code. It's setting a trash control code. Well, you don't go and try to repair trash control and ABS first. You have to go after that misfire because that's the first priority code. And 
that's kind of one thing. There are different levels of codes that mean different things. Right. And just to make it even more confusing to the average person, there are codes that do not turn on the light at all. They're called pending codes. Yeah. Well, there are pending codes, and they're also manufacturer's codes. In OBD2, most of the codes that start with a P, well, all the codes start with a P are in power control module, then there'll be a zero. Then there'll be like 401 or 430. Three more digits. Three more digits. Uh-huh. Those codes are generally going to turn light on. Now, you may also see like a P1840. That may or may not set the check engine light. The one in that first digit place means that it is a manufacturer's code. Now, some of those will still set a check engine light. Then you have codes with a two first digit. Those mm-hmm. do not turn on a check engine light. Those are strictly for the technician to go in, retrieve, and it gives him more information about, about other codes that are stored. Right. And he uses it in that way. But it may seem kind of random or radical because a lot of people will say, well, that light comes on, but then it goes off. So, therefore, I don't worry about it. Well, you got to understand how this all works. And what it is, there are tests that the car executes on itself. Mm-hmm. These are called readiness tests or IM tests. This is when the car is testing for a certain malfunction because it can't test everything at one time. It's doing too many other things. It makes those tests in stages. It does. And some tests require certain criteria in order to run. For instance, Correct. the car may have to be traveling at a certain speed. Before this test before will execute. Before it will execute. It may have to have a certain amount of fuel in the tank before this test will execute. Now, if above or below that amount, it may or may not run. Mm-hmm. So that's why if it doesn't run for a couple of cycles, the light may go off. But then next time it runs, it's going to come back on. We're going to talk a whole lot more about that and other things, but we're going to take our phone call first. We've got Joe online. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Lewis. Yes, How sir. Are you? I am wonderful, sir. Okay, I've got a I've got a question for you. You bet. I live in Italy, okay. and we reached in my garage here. We did a, a timing belt. Okay. And it didn't go well. Then we also replaced the spark plugs. Now the spark plugs weren't exactly the right. Well, they weren't. In the, they were champions. Instead of the NKG, I NGK, yes. Yeah. And the guy that did, that did the work, you know, he sort of eyeballed the gap. Well, he actually eyeballed the gap. Mm-hmm. Put the car together, it runs. And then a week later, the um, ECU failed. Now, my question is, of course, you know, this could all be coincidence because you know that happens. It but could be. I'm just wondering if. You know, because the plugs weren't just right and we didn't gap them correctly, I wonder if that had any impact. Now, it's a, it's a new car. It's a 2008. So I'm just, you know, curious if that could have hastened the failure of the ECU. I would say, Joe, is probably unlikely in that the spark side is on the secondary output side. In other words, the ECU issues a command to the call pack, and then the call fires it. I would say it's unlikely that that would damage it because this would have to back up through so many stages to get to it. I wouldn't say it's beyond the realm of all possibility, but I would say it's pretty unlikely that that caused the failure. Okay. I guess it's just one of those terrible coincidences. It could be, or Joe, what could have happened when he did the timing belt, he could possibly have left a ground off. Now, that could easily cause that. You know, if a ground wire were left off, so make sure you check and all the grounds are on because if not, you could have a recurrence. All right, I'll do that. I, I remember correctly because I was with them. There didn't seem to be any ground wires in the front mm-hmm. to work. 
you know, it started out, it, it runs fine, and that night he complained that it missed a little bit when, when they were running it all day. Mm-hmm. And then they, we took it out for a ride, it just ran fine. But the same thing, after a day's running, it started to miss a bit. And by Friday, that's all it did was miss. Yes, sir. Well, and, you know, you could have whoever repairs the ECU ask them to do kind of a post-mortem for you and find out what failed in the ECU. If it were a spark driver, then I would say the, the weight of the evidence would be pretty heavy on that. Now, if, say, the idle control driver were burned out, and whoever repairs that ECU can tell you that information. If you find out what circuit failed, that would give you a lot more information. I mean, it is possible it could happen if something shorts out that the ECU is controlling directly. A couple of the biggest things that do that, I know oxygen sensors can short out, go to ground, ground can go to power, and that'll knock it out. That's one thing. Another thing is if that car probably doesn't have an idle control servo, but if it did, that's controlled directly by the ECU, and anything in that can can definitely cause it. You know, we have it. We, I wasn't there when they did this part, but the guy put one of these little scanners on it, mm-hmm. and look, number four plug or number four cylinder wasn't firing properly. Well, that sounds like a spark driver probably mm-hmm. dropped out. I mean... Again, I would certainly, if I were going to replace the ECU, I would get the NGK plugs and gap them properly. I wouldn't chance that because it is possible it could happen. If it drew enough amperage trying to fire either the wrong plug or an improperly gap plug, the elevated amp draw on that driver could burn it out. Well, yeah, I'm going to try to convince him. But, you know, Lewis, this guy describes your old school or your old theory. He believes in the cheapest way in oh, is the best way out. You know? <laughs> but, you know, I'm over here in Italy, and I just love your car show. Well, thank you. And I write you a few notes every night. I realize, <laughs> yeah, I, I know I've spoke with you before on email. Yeah, so listen, you keep up the good work, and, you know, I'll try to explain this to him. I've told him the expensive way in. Cheapest way out is the most expensive. There you go. <laughs> All right, Joe, thanks for calling, man. Sure enough. Have a great day, and thanks for your service. You bet. Thank you. All right, we're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Hey, Mike. Heading out for your run? I just knocked out three miles myself. Yep, did my meditation this morning to de-stress, and now I'm going to get a little exercise. Tomorrow I need to take the car into the shop, though. That shaking problem's getting worse. Uh, You know, you should take care of your car like you take care of your body, and it would save you some money. What do you mean? Preventative maintenance is key. Me and Kathy bring our cars in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They give them the once-over and perform the maintenance needed to keep us on the road. I haven't had any kind of major problem with my cars in forever. I guarantee they would have caught the cause of your shaking issue and fixed it before it became a problem. And probably saved me money, too. Yep. All right, I'm heading home this evening for steak and lobster. Then Kathy and I are going to test run our new hot tub. Surf and turf and a new hot tub? Yeah, and champagne. Saving money on your car allows you to enjoy the finer things in life, Mike, my boy. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us in the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. And if you have a question on your mind or a comment, you just give us a call. If Joe can call away from Italy, you can join us your call from Baton Rouge. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and put, <laughs> yeah. put, put the, a squeeze on everybody. That's right, put a squeeze on you, man. We're sitting here by ourselves and nobody to talk to. We were talking a little bit about 
warning lights and that sort of thing. And what makes them seem so random is that most of the tests that they have to run to turn light either on or off do have parameters associated with them. Correct. And one of the most common tests that fails, turns lights on, and then goes back off are what they call EVAP tests, or right. evaporative emissions tests. Now, the reason the EVAP test is so hard to pass is because it has to have, number one, you have to have more than a quarter of a tank of gas, or, but less than three-quarters of a tank of gas. So it has to be in that medium before it leaving before leaving execute, execute the, the test. test. It will abort it if it has less than a quarter. So what happens many times is the check engine light may come on, so you got half a tank of gas. Well, you ride around with it, don't get it checked right away. Well, you get to a quarter tank, well, now it's going to abort that test. It's not going to run at a quarter tank. Mm-hmm. So the light may go back out. Now, you may ride around up to a week on a quarter tank of gas, maybe longer. Then you go and fill your tank. So now Again, you're Again, it's still going to abort the test until it gets to three quarters. So you may have, I mean, if you don't drive much, you may have a month that goes right. by before it will run that test again. In that period of time, because the test is being aborted, it may just simply turn the light back off because mm-hmm. it's not going to keep it on because it can't support it with a test. Now, that does not mean the car is fixed. It just means you haven't met the criteria for running that test. Another set of tests may require a cold start. Now, a vehicle defines a cold start as when you cycle the ignition, the Ambient temperature sensor, which is the outside temperature, right. matches the, the engine coolant, temperature, the coolant, coolant temperature, temperature sensor. Those two match, so it knows it's a cold start. Now, if you start the car and you run it for, say, five minutes, well, it never gets to full operating temperature, so it never executes the test. However, if you cycle the ignition off and back on again, it will not run that test because it's not a cold start. Right, because the two temperatures do not match anymore. And it may not, depending on the ambient temperature outside and other factors, it may not see a cold start the rest of that day. Right. If you start your car once every three or four hours, it may not ever cool completely off enough to meet the criteria as a cold start. Another thing that you have to remember about check engine lights and all warning lights is that every time you cycle the ignition, when you turn the key off and then start the car again, that is called a drive cycle to the computer. Mm -hmm. Every drive cycle is a new world. Sure. Everything reboots and starts off from scratch again. So all these things have to recur. That's why a lot of times we'll get people who will call the automotive buyer and they'll say, my air conditioner is blowing like a heater on the left side. But when I turn the key off and turn it back on, it, it does, starts working. It starts working. Well, it doesn't start working. It just reboots. And until that error occurs again and the computer shuts that, that actuator down. down again, it's going to keep happening. It doesn't mean the car is fixed because it starts working again. And what's so confusing to people is that the way they drive the car may prevent certain tests from running. Yep. So something occurs. The light comes on. Well, that means you've got a problem on a modern car. Now, it's not like the old days where if the light wasn't on, you couldn't diagnose a problem. After 1996, all cars store codes. They store failure records, and the newer they are, the more more stuff they store. Right. The very first ones didn't store much information, but it was more information than you had before OBD2. Right. Now, the big, big, big fallacy is that if I disconnect the battery, I'm going to fix this. That will not ever 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 fix a problem and what it does is it really 
makes the problem harder to find much, much more because difficult. Because what you've done is not only have you turned the light out by disconnecting the battery, but you've also cleared all the codes it's set. You cleared all the freeze frame data the tech needs to diagnose the vehicle. So disconnecting the battery is And a you may have introduced other codes that weren't there before. So don't ever, ever let anybody tell you disconnecting the battery is going to fix it. Now, I've seen people say, well, my check engine light was on, so I disconnected the battery when it got a inspection sticker. No, you no. didn't either. Because when you disconnect the battery, it's going to clear what they call the readiness test. Correct. All these tests are cleared at the same time. So if you try to get a sticker at that point, even though the light's not on, they're going to tell you the IM tests are incomplete, and you're going to fail anyway. Yep. So you're not going to be able to get an inspection sticker. You're not going to fool anybody. It's not going to do anything. In fact, if you just cycle the ignition, you can do the same thing in a much less intrusive manner. Because every time you cycle ignition, if the problem's not there, eventually, after you see so many key cycles, it's going to clear anyway if the code is not active. It's going to move it to history. It'll move to history, and, and it'll move it out of out active of, memory, so the light will go out. Right. So if you have fixed the problem, you don't have to disconnect the battery. You just cycle the key enough times, and the code is going to go away, unless De- it's still there. Depending on what code it is as to how many drive cycles it sees before it actually clears itself out. Before it'll move it to history. It doesn't get rid of it. It just moves it. So that way, a tech can go in. He can say, well, yeah, there was this problem in the past. It seems to have been corrected because we've got 100 drive cycles since it's occurred. That is a tremendous amount of information for this guy to have. Right. And if you disconnect the battery, all that information's gone. That's right. All he sees is a code now when it comes back on, but he doesn't know how often it happens because he doesn't have the drive cycle count any longer. Doesn't he may have... spend a lot of time and money trying to fix something that's already been corrected. Right. It so doesn't, he doesn't have the freeze frame data to go in and look at and see when this problem occurred. The freeze frame data gives you all the information that was happening at the time the code set. Vehicle speed, RPM, just to name a few. One of the most important, how long the vehicle was running when it occurred. Right. Because Run time. we've got vehicles in, and it had four oxygen sensor codes in it. All four oxygen sensors were not reading. Now, when we went to the freeze frame data, it showed that the engine was had not been running but about five seconds when this occurred. Mm-hmm. The engine temperature was very near the ambient temperature. Now, a technician knows that the oxygen sensor should not be reading under those criteria because the car is still in open loop. Right. So what happened is that we realized, hey, we got a bigger problem here than oxygen sensors. Come to find out, what we found was one of the main wires, a rodent had gotten in and chewed it. Right. But a less experienced technician or one operating without that other information may very well have just went in and threw four oxygen sensors on this car for absolutely no reason. And may have taken off better sensors and they put back on or damage the threads taking them out of the exhaust tube what happens very often is the same guy who's going to make that mistake also kind of like what joe will say he uses the cheapest parts he can find Mm -hmm. so he goes find four knockoff white box knockoff junk oxygen sensors that don't even read anyway took out four good oem sensors put that junk in there well now he does have an oxygen sensor code because they're reading out of range because they're junk and he's created a problem and he has not even begun to address the original original problem. problem yep Another thing you will see is that when data like that does not make sense, then you may suspect possibly the PCM or ECM is bad. Right. And that is something that is very, very hard to determine because when the computer goes bad, it doesn't know how to test itself. And, I mean, some cars do. A very few cars, like some of your Chrysler products, can set an internal computer failure. Some of Toyotas do that. Most do not. So the only way to test the ECM 
is to go in and check all the inputs, check all the outputs. If all the inputs are there and outputs are missing, then you know the ECM is bad. But that can take several hours to do. Take a qualified technician to do. Several hours. Several hours to do. And so what you've done by disconnecting the battery, you eliminate all this data, which may have took him to that in a very, very timely manner. And again, shop labor rates may run anywhere from 90 to $150 an hour. Right. You are paying that. So why would you do anything that's going to make that time way more? Exactly. Uh, and that's what disconnecting the battery does. That is what disconnecting always will do. Not only that, but disconnecting the battery on some of the more modern cars yeah. can undo certain programming that has to be reprogrammed. Right. You may lose your yaw sensor data because all it has to be programmed in. You may, like on Toyotas, you may lose your window module Sun, data, and the windows sunroof. may not roll up and down. The sunroof, sunroof may not operate yep. any longer. So you never, ever want to disconnect a battery needlessly. And, you know, while we're on the battery subject, that's a good that's a good time to, when you have change a battery, is to back that information up. That's right. Don't just go out there and take the cables off and change the battery and put it back well, on. Well, now all, all the data is gone. All lost. the data is gone. What a technician will do is he will back the data up by applying another power source across the battery when he disconnects that one, which keeps all the data working. Not only that, but cars have learned memory. Certain functions like how to idle or is a learned function. Right. How to shift, when to shift. All that is learned function. So if you disconnect the battery, your car may shift improperly for a while. It may not want to idle. It may start dying on you. It can do all kinds of stuff, all brought on by the battery. Now, I know someone's going to say, well, what do you do if the battery goes dead? Well, if the battery goes dead, that's just one of those situations where all you can do is the best you can do. You put right. another battery in and you move on from there because it will relearn eventually. It just takes time. It just takes you, time. You've got to be an aggravation. ready for it. That's right. So a better plan is when your battery gets about three years old because on the average, batteries last 36 months in the United States, right. slightly less in the South because it's hot. When your battery gets near three years, just go ahead, have someone have take it out or take it out yourself, back up the memory, replace the battery. You're saving the aggravation of a dead battery. You're saving losing all your data. And you're also saving the inconvenience of being stranded somewhere because the battery died. Exactly. So, you know, it just... To me, it doesn't make sense. An expensive battery, for the most part, is about $90. Right. It just costs $30 a year to start the car. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> hey, you can take our second quick little break and be right back with more of the Automotive Hour. Hey, Jim. Becky said you were in the office and, whoa, what is up with all the charts and graphs, buddy? Oh, I'm using my system I've developed to keep up with the maintenance on my three cars. Is that an armillary sphere? Yes, yes it is. So, the oil gets changed every third full moon. Brake pads divide the years Becky and I have been married by our oldest son's age. Timing belt is leap year, except when it's on you, the time. You know feet. there's a better way, right? I just take my cars into Agco once a year for a general inspection. They give me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need. Sometimes it's just an oil change and they send me on my way. One time, they caught something that could have led to a huge repair. Saved me thousands. Wow, that sounds great. You know, I'm always trying to save money any way I can. Uh, let me get Agco's number online and uh, give them a call. Is that dial-up? Dude, there's a better way to save money. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We certainly appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 291 6901. That'll get you straight up to the top of the list and get your questions answered. That's it. 
and we were talking a bit about malfunction indicator lamps and the way they operate and these fool people a lot of times one last thing on disconnecting the battery if you, let's say you've got a check engine light that's been coming on for years mm-hmm. and you're ignoring it well it may not be one thing any longer because there's only one light and what can happen if another code sets is our lights already on it's kind of like if you ignore the fire alarm in your house it may not be a fire right now but a fire may start and you ignore an alarm well you'll never know. then you'll never know so you end up burning your house down or something that could have been prevented the point i'm trying to make with all that is you eventually you keep disconnecting about you eventually bring it into the shop well now at this point the only thing they know is what's set since the last time you disconnected the battery right so there may be one code okay they go in and do a perfect job repair this code timely manner reasonable price everything's great you get in the car take off week two, later two days week later like comes back on well, those guys don't know what they're doing. No, 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 no. You disconnect the battery. You lost all the historical data. Correct. They had no way to know what else could have been in there because you destroyed all that data. Now, the next code sets again, which may only set once every two weeks. It may set once a month. Mm-hmm. You may have an intermittent problem that's been driving you crazy that may only set once every six months. Right. When you've disconnected that battery, you lost all that data. The only thing a shop can work on is, is what is in the system right now. What's there now, they can see that and they can operate on that, but they don't know what else was in there. Exactly. So, now, a few computers will set a code showing the memory's been cleared. And that's real handy. You can say, hey, this has been cleared out. There could be other things in there. I know one of the things we get a lot is when we have a misfire, people will disconnect it. And what happened, the misfire caused the catalytic converter to go bad. Right. But that's been cleared out, and that test is not running right now. Well, they bring it in, you fix the misfire, and a week later they come Light back, comes lights back on. back on, and they're all aggravated. Well, why didn't you tell me the converter was bad? Because I had no way to know because you cleared the memory out. Yep. And the misfire that we fixed is the reason for it, but there was no code for that at the time because you destroyed all the data that we needed. Correct. So it can be very aggravating to you and to the shop. Also, much, much better to bring it in with all the codes in there because then they can say, okay, yeah, here we got a misfire. This has damaged the catalytic converter. This could cause da-da-da-da-da. So they have much, much more information to work with. You're going to get a much faster, more accurate diagnosis, and you're going to avoid all those problems. Yep. Let's go back to our phone lines. Mike, good morning, Mike. Good morning, Lewis and Brian. I hope you're well. We are. We're doing great. Great. I always like to thank you guys first because I've learned just so much from the radio show and especially your website. It's invaluable. Well, thank you. Okay. Listen, two quick questions if I could. I have a truck that I don't run, but maybe once a week. I keep it just for when I need it. I wonder if there's any benefit, and you might know the term Italian tune-up, getting it on the highway, warming it up, and then really gunning it and exploring it cleaning it out does that help well you don't really have to floor it and all that kind of stuff but certainly getting it on the highway and running it at speed getting it to full operating temperature will definitely help you can do pretty much the same thing by dropping it out of overdrive maybe drop it down to second or third gear and just speed the engine speed up somewhat because there are certain things that are not really gonna when they're just operating normally they may continue on like carbon buildup and some of those things, whereas when the engine speed goes up, it can help to blow it out. So not a bad idea to get a vehicle out, drive it 15, 20 minutes at least once a week at highway speed, and like I said, just drop it down into maybe second gear, which is going to do the same thing without having to really gun it and speed up and all that kind of stuff. Very good. 
And one other question, guys. I've always had, or I've had many vehicles that had a recirculate button, which has always been good, like when you're following the diesel truck yes. and you don't get the fumes. Mm-hmm. And there's best, the vehicle I have now only has, it's a Ford pickup, it only has a maximum AC control, which li- eliminates the outside. But it's, right. how do I use that when it's on panel or heat? Is, it, doesn't that put the AC on? Can you help me with that? Yeah, Really, in South Louisiana, we leave our air conditioners on maximum all the time or on recirculate all the time simply because it's extremely hard on the air conditioner to draw this heat-laden, moisture-laden air in and have to keep recooling and dehumidifying it. So you want to always keep it on recirculate. Usually what maximum means is it's going to put it on recirculate. Now, I'm not familiar with that exact vehicle as to how it operates. Most of them do have a means to put it on recirculate. And sometimes that's a programming function where you can set the programming where it automatically defaults to recirculate unless you take it off. Well, you, this is an O3, so it's pretty much mechanical, and it only has the, the knobs that give you the options, mm-hmm. and there is no recirculate. I've looked Does, the yeah, the maximum probably is the recirculate. Does it have a separate AC button that you have to use? No. To turn it's AC? It's turns you, button that turns like... You go from AC to panel, and that's basically it, and then AC max. Yeah, I know so some I, of them you can turn the compressor off. as a little button right. somewhere. It, it turns it off, and you just go to fresh air, and you can go to recirculate with fresh air. Yeah, I would have to see that one, how it operates. Mike, I'm not certain about it, but if it's cool enough outside, of course, all the ones with automatic temperature control will automatically do all that stuff for you. On that one, I think I would probably leave it on max AC and just cut the temperature down. Yeah, I cut the fan speed and the temperature down to, to regulate temperature. I mean, if it gets too cold. I was just worried about cold, using the, yeah, I'm sorry, I was just it, worried about using the compressor all the time, even when I no, get my panel air. No, that know? doesn't hurt it at all. In fact, it's good to use the compressor all the time because that's when it lubricates. What's really hard on is when it doesn't use the compressor, when it sits. That's what causes compressors to uh, have more problems. You can literally put it on AC, and if it gets too cold, just cut the heat up a little bit. And it'll okay. just reheat the air, and that doesn't hurt them at all. People think it does, but it does not hurt them at all. A compressor works best when it's running because that's when it's circulating the refrigerant. The oil is in the refrigerant. That's what's lubricating it. Compressors that sit long periods of time, the oil can drain off of them, and they are running dry. In fact, most of the modern cars will cycle the compressor on under several conditions, and it'll just come on every so often just to lubricate itself. The older ones didn't do that. But, yeah, you cannot hurt a compressor by using it. Excellent, excellent information, as always, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Okay, Mike, where are you calling from? South Florida. South Florida. Good Great. deal. Good deal. Well, you know all about right, air guys. conditioning. Then. <laughs> no, all the time. Yes, all okay, right. Mike. Thanks for calling, Bye-bye. man. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, whether you're in Baton Rouge or Boca Raton. Hey, hey you give us a call. That's 291-6901. Get you right up straight to us. And that is one of those persistent things that people believe that's really not so. And they used to label the panel as maximum AC. People uh-huh. would see maximum and think, okay, the compressor's working really hard there because it's on maximum. Right. In reality, the compressor's not working as hard on maximum as it is on fresh air because it's already got the air conditioned. It's got it cooled and it's got it dehumidified. It's just circulated inside the car. Another fallacy is that you're going to hurt the compressor by using it too much because 
literally what happens, all systems either have an expansion valve or an orifice, orifice tube. tube. Right. And when the core temperature reaches a certain temperature, when it starts to get too cold in the vehicle, the low side pressure will begin to drop. When it drops past a certain point, the cycle switch is going to cut the compressor off anyway. Yep. So you really can't overuse the compressor. Even if you turn it on maximum on a cool day, it's just going to cycle on and off. Mm-hmm. The newer ones don't cycle on and off. They have variable displacement. It just cuts the displacement of the compressor back so that it's just sitting there freewheeling. Right. In fact, a lot of vehicles now don't even have a clutch on them any longer. What they do, they're variable displacement, and when they're not needed, the displacement just goes to zero, and the shaft just sits there and turns. Just like an idler. Yeah, like an idler, but they don't have a separate clutch. They don't have anything to cycle on and off. And some of those have what they call a shear pin in the shaft, and that's just in case the compressor were to lock up fully, it would shear the pin off, and it would rather than throw the belt off, it just starts to freewheel. But once that happens, the compressor is no longer usable. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, just a little bit about AC compressors with the weather getting getting warmer. warmer. (laughs) Now, we were talking about malfunctioning little lights and such as that. Another thing is that when things start to go wrong, for instance, you may get a check engine light, and start to ignore it, but you may also notice that your cruise control no longer works. Right. And that's because certain vehicles, when there is a active code in memory, will disable the cruise control. Yep. Depending on the code, it may disable other things. For instance, we had a guy call a while back, two or three shows ago, and he was talking about his car kept overheating, but no symptoms of really getting hot. Well, the point is with a computer, it doesn't care if it's hot or if it thinks it's hot. If the sensor tells, tells that it. it's hot, then it's going to do all the things it would do if it were hot. Correct. So if the sensor goes bad, it may set a check engine light, but it may also turn the fans on wide open because it thinks the car is overheating. It may start shutting cylinders down. It's going to go through its strategy of trying to cool it. It may also turn your air conditioner off. Right. And your air conditioner may not be working, and you go and spend all this money, and worst possible thing, you get the neighbor to squirt some more refrigerant in it, and now you you really got a problem. And what it was, the computer was disabling it because it thought the engine temperature was too right. high. It starts cutting, or too low. It starts cutting all the comfort systems down. Yeah, the down. non-essential systems, it starts shutting them down. Another point, if it thinks it's too cold outside, if it thinks it's 30 below zero, it's not going to allow the AC compressor to come on. Right. It doesn't matter if it's really 90 degrees outside. It doesn't know that. It only knows what the sensor reports it's to it. it. And so that's why you can get all these really weird, strange things occurring. Yeah. And, of course, you go in and you disconnect the battery, you clear all this out, and then you go to the shop and say, my air conditioner's not working. Well, he checks it and it's working. So he says, well, sometimes it doesn't work. Okay, well, he's thinking maybe it's freezing up, maybe it's doing this. He may go into a whole big procedure of evacuating, recharging, possibly changing the expansion valve, changing the clutch of the compressor because he's looking for intermittent problems. And... All this wasn't necessary because what it was, it was a sensor that was going bad, reporting improper data. It's one of those things where garbage in, garbage out. Right. You get the wrong data coming in, you get the wrong results coming out. So these are just some things about that. Now, another thing, I noticed we were watching the weather report just before we came on the show and Mm -hmm. all the flooding all around the country going on right now. And, of course, inevitably they show a flooded street, and here's people driving driving down it. it. And what people do not realize, that can cause a check engine light, can cause an anti-lock brake light. It can also damage the wheel bearings on your car. Sure, that water gets in there, and it emulsifies the grease and the oil that is keeping the bearing lubricated. 
And it's not going to fail right away. No. I mean, it you, may be six months. It you're may not going to know anything the next morning. No. You're going to get up. You're going to drive your car. And Just everything's like going to seem perfectly normal. But then six months later, one wheel bearing goes out. You have it replaced. Another wheel bearing goes out. You have it replaced. Well, by the time the third wheel bearing goes out, what is going on here? And what it is is that foot and a half of water you drove through got a year ago, six or, months ago. Six months ago. Or maybe the rear differential goes out. Right. It's because water. water has gotten inside that rear differential, it's emulsified the grease or the oil that lubricates it. It's also starting to rust and pit up the bearings right. and the gears. You can, you can totally wipe out a differential with water. Oh, $2,000, $2,500 of damage in a heartbeat. Same thing with a transmission. you got to remember all transmissions are vented to the outside. In fact, virtually everything that has petroleum in it has a vent, has some type of vent. And depending on where the vent is and if there's a hose that locates it to a higher place. And if that hose is intact hose is and intact. in place, it hadn't dry rotted and fell off or whatever. Exactly. You can very easily get water into these components when you drive through what you think is not that high a water. Mm-hmm. I mean, six, eight inches can cause like a surge wave, which can wash up over the front of a transmission. Hondas are kind of bad about that because the vent is right up on top of the case. And it's right there in the front of the right in the front. compartment. So let's say you're going through six, eight inches of water. You're pushing a wall. The front bumper is pushing that, and it's rising up behind the bumper, and it's washing over the transmission. Now, here comes some jerk come by you 50 miles an hour in a big four-wheel drive truck. He yeah. just washed a wall of water over yours. If it sucks in an intake, you can know about it. The only good thing is you can know about it right away because the engine's going to die. And exactly. when it dies, it's going to take the engine out. Right. If it just washes over the transmission, you're not going to know you're it. You're not going to know. Now, had you had the foresight to go and have that transmission looked at, you could find it had water in it. If you caught it soon enough, you may buy some time. I'm of the opinion once water gets in a transmission, it's, it's done. done. It's going to fail. It's right. It's a, just matter a matter of time. time. Certainly, if you get the water out right away, you may be able to go further eventually i think transmission is going to fail sure because the glues that hold all the clutches and all together in a transmission are running in oil constantly correct so they use a glue that is water soluble so it's not petroleum soluble but once water hits that clutch it's going to fail it soaks into it and it starts to break it heats down eventually it fails it may be a year later maybe two years later obviously if you get the water out of it right away you're going to mitigate a lot of those damages you may go a lot further before it fails you may even get lucky and get by. Maybe. Same thing on a rear differential. You can generally save a rear differential if you can get the water out right away because it doesn't have clutches unless it's a positive traction of some sort. And so if you get the water out of it, put fresh oil in there, you can generally save a front or rear differential or right. a transfer case. Not so much with the with the, tr- transmission, the transmission, but it's just the same thing with wheel bearings. Most wheel bearings on modern cars cannot be disassembled to clean or lubricate or try to get the water out of them. Most of them are hub-bearing assemblies. They're sealed. No way to take them apart. So once water gets in, then it's just a matter of time. Start saving your coins. Yeah. Hey, we're going to take our last quick little break and be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. So, Tina, are you interested in shopping next weekend? Oh, well, me and Harold leave for our European cruise on Friday. Another cruise? What? 
Are you all blowing the kids' inheritance? <laughs> no, we're just smart with our money. Like, our cars are paid off, and we're big on preventative maintenance. Harold takes them in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform yeah, maintenance on what we need down. to keep the cars yeah, running right. Crazy. You'd be surprised on how fast you can save for a cruise without two car notes. <laughs> wow, I never thought of that. I have time to do a little shopping this afternoon, though. I've got to get Harold a bathing suit. He keeps saying he wants one of those tiny Speedo suits because that's what everybody wears in Europe. And I cannot let that happen. Okay, now I have an image of Harold strutting around the pool in a Speedo. I think I'm going to book a general inspection from Agco to clear my mind. He wanted hot pink, too. <laughs> Tina, stop. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by our side. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go and give us a call at 291-6901. And, you know, we were talking about getting water and wheel bearings and mm -hmm. things, and that's where the ABS, the analog brake sensor, speed sensor, is actually located in most modern cars, is it's part of the wheel bearing assembly. Before, the sensor just bolted into the knuckle, and there was a tone ring on the drive axle, and that's kind of how it worked. Mm -hmm. But things have changed as to modern cars and everything. They've moved those sensors to a different type of sensor right. into the wheel bearings now. And some of them read, rather than have a tone wheel, they read off little balls in the roller bearing. They can read those balls going by, so they save putting a tone wheel. I know some of the Hondas are built that way. Some of them have the, the bearing has a tone wheel built into it mm -hmm. on one side. Right. And that bearing presses into the knuckle. So right. if you press the, the bearing into the knuckle the wrong and way. More to the point, if I can kind of guess where you're going, it presses yeah. in either way. Yes, it does. <laughs> it will go in either way. So you have to know how it goes in as to be able to put it in correctly and so it's the what sensor you call will work. a destructible bearing. That's that right. Means once it is pressed in, you have to destroy it to, to get, get it, it out. back out. So if you don't want like an $85 lesson in about two and a half hours work, <laughs> you press this thing all together, put it all in, go drive the car, drives like a dream, noise is all gone, but now the ABS light's on. That's when you figure out you messed up. Baron pressed in backwards. Yep. Because <laughs> it'll go in either way. Hey, let's go to the phone lines with Wallace. Good morning, Wallace. Good morning, Louis. Yes, sir. I uh, hate to get you off your subject, but coming up on summer, I've got some old fuel for lawnmowers and whatever in the house. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of it was for two cycles, so it's got oil mixed in it. Mm -hmm. Can I, say, about a gallon of it, put that into the tank of my car? I would not do that. No. I, I would definitely not do that because the contaminants uh, in there are going to settle in the bottom of your fuel tank and create problems that you just can't get rid of readily. At very least, you could be dropping the tank back out, which costs way more than any savings of that gas. I hear that makes good weed killer, <laughs> but I didn't tell you that. Yeah. You didn't hear that. But I, you didn't hear that here, you know. <laughs> there are people who will recycle that for you. That gasoline has to be hauled off separate from the waste oil because it's technically classified as a hazardous material because the flash point is low on it. So if you dump it into waste oil, then the whole tank of waste oil can become hazardous waste, and you have right. to pay to haul it off. But there are people who can dispose of that. I know we keep a separate drum because we get a lot separate of cars container. coming in with water in it and all that, and we have to pay to have that hauled off. But, yeah, I would not put it in a car. It's just the possibilities of problems are just way too high, and the cost of fixing them is way more than just getting rid of that fuel. Okay, I all agree. Right. Okay, Thanks man. All right, Wallace, okay. thanks for calling, bye -bye. man. Bye-bye. 
All right, 291-6901 is the number. We still got a few minutes to try to answer a question for you. You can get it in here pretty quickly. Pretty quick. If not, you got to wait till next week. Or you could go to the website. There you go. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it in. There you go. Couldn't be any easier than that. And it's ironic. We get email from people, and I look at the stats on my site, and we get roughly 7,000 people a day that wow. go to that site. But I still have people in Baton Rouge, so I didn't know you had a website. <laughs> <laughs> I say, yeah, this is an international resource for people. All right. the world use this thing, 7,000 people a day. And there are people right here at home who, who don't, don't know anything about don't it. Don't know you got a website. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, there's tons and tons of information on that site. That's probably over half a million words of text. That's just, and all about automotive and all unbiased information. It's not like we're sponsored by anybody where we got to tell you, hey, this is a good product when it's right. not. We're not trying to sell anything. That's right. Nothing for sale on the site. Nothing you can buy if you want to. In fact, I get a lot of people who do call the shop. And they'll read like an article guy last week. He read an article on brake boosters and uh-huh. how they operate. Now I said, "Well, I need a brake boost for such and such. Do you sell it?" And I said, "Well, no, sir. We don't sell parts. We're an auto repair shop." I said, "Oh, well, I read your article and I was so grateful. I just wanted to do business with you if I could." Right. That's why well, I appreciate that. But no, sir, we do not sell parts. We write articles on all sorts of topics, but that doesn't mean we supply those parts. Mm-hmm. Another topic that we've got, we get a lot of calls on, is the Ford explorers where the body control bushings will dry rot and oh, fall yeah. apart and people call and they'll say, or write or email and say can i get these body bushings from you no this information is just or this data is just for information only right like everything on our site it's in there for information and for people to use to help people but we're not marketing that stuff no, we don't sell these products we don't sell anything we repair cars in baton rouge louisiana right unfortunately if you're in Billings, Montana, <laughs> you know, I've got people go, well, I wanna, don't you have a branch here? No, sir, we don't. We are a local shop, even though we might sound like we're bigger than right, we are. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> we are a local operation, and we repair cars in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Now, yep. we would be more than happy to give you information on how you might go about getting this fixed or how you might select a shop. In fact, one of the most valuable articles on that site is how to find a good mechanic. Mm-hmm. That is an excellent article. And there's two or three different ones. There's one that goes into the history of auto repair and how it came from the blacksmith shop, basically. Mm -hmm. The the first auto repair guys were blacksmiths because you used to bring your buggy there and your wagon there when you had problems. Well, when you got a car and it broke, there was no auto repair shops. There were no dealerships. So what you did is you brought it to the blacksmith, and he would pound around on it or do whatever he did. And eventually, some blacksmiths got pretty good at doing that and became auto repair shops because they had fewer and fewer horses to work on, more and more cars to work on. So they so had to progress to a different field. Field. There okay. you go. Just, they did. And a lot of those old blacksmith-type tendencies still persist in the industry today. Right. And I have one article on just that, why some of the things that continue to go wrong in the industry do continue to go wrong, why shops are built the way they are and all that. And it's because a lot of times people just duplicate what's been done before without thinking, is is there a better way? When I started Agco, rather than look at what anyone else had ever done, what I tried to do was to engineer a solution to what I saw as a problem. Correct. That's why we are so different when you call us. You know, we don't quote prices over the phone until we see the vehicle. We work by appointment, which is fairly common now, but 40 years ago that was Unheard unheard of. We diagnose the problem before we go in and start changing parts. 
all these things are different, and the reason they are is because we designed a solution to a problem. Looking for a better way. Looking for a better way. Hey, I see we are just about totally out of time. we got to start winding on up, tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends, go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, whichever that might be, and fill out the written review. That's right. It'll move us up in the rankings so more people can hear us. If you can't find a review, I had a guy this morning said he couldn't find one. Okay. Just go to Google and go to our shop review and just give us a review there. Perfect. We appreciate that as well. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.